0: Man, Amen. It's so good to be here to share God's word. Uh, Before we get into God's word, let us uh, pray this morning. Lord, as we come to you this morning, we are so thankful for this opportunity to join together to worship you, both those who are on campus, those who are joining with us online. Lord, you are are worthy of all praise and honor. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, we thank you for the goodness of the Father. We thank you for the love expressed to us in your Son, and we thank you for the Holy Spirit of God that draws us uh, to you. Lord, we ask that as we open up your word this morning and study from your holy word, Lord, that we would not only uh, understand the truths through your spirit that you give to us, Lord, but that through uh, faith in you and only faith in you, Lord, uh, that we would obey what you teach us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would, open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, we're going to continue our uh, series uh, in the month of... Uh, December, and uh, which we began actually in November, but the Advent series that we have, we're going to be looking at verses uh, four through ten uh, in First John chapter three. If you're joining with us on campus and you do not have a copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to look in front of this and seat in front of you or underneath the seat that you're sitting in. There should be a blue Bible there. I encourage you to take that Bible, open up to page eleven twenty four. Eleven twenty four. Uh, And just as a reminder, because you may have forgotten, or this may be your first time uh, joining with us in our Advent series, uh, the word Advent uh, talks about an arrival. Uh, And and it's not just an arrival uh, for for the follower of Christ. When we think about uh, Jesus coming to this world, uh, we think about something with great expectation. Uh, There's an an anticipation, a longing, and that's one of the reminders that we have during the Christmas season, is this expectation, this arrival that, that Jesus is here. And that he's on his way, right? And so when we think about celebrating Advent, uh, we have been looking at why Jesus came. It's so important for us, especially during uh, Christmas season, and not just during Christmas season, but to be reminded of why Jesus came. And we started off in Romans 15, and we looked at uh, the reason why Jesus came was to display the glory of God, that that's where we need to start when we think about uh, the season of Christmas, that he came to display the glory of God. And the way that Jesus did that was he showed that God was faithful to his promises, uh, and then he also uh, displayed his mercy, uh, and in doing those two things... Uh, Showing that God is faithful and displaying his mercy, uh, Jesus brings hope. Now the question is, how is it that Jesus brings hope? Well, the next message that we looked at was in Luke chapter 4, and we looked at the mission of God uh, through Jesus Christ, and we learned in that passage that Jesus comes to those who have nothing to offer, Uh, Jesus comes to those who are in bondage to sin, Uh, Jesus comes to those who are uh, deceived, and Jesus comes to those who are hurting Jesus comes to display, to show, to reveal uh, the grace of God. And so we're going to continue that thread and we're going to look at 1 John chapter 3. Now it's important that when we dive into a middle of a book uh, that we understand uh, some of the context so that we'll understand what we're about to read. Because if we're not understanding the context of what we're getting ready to read, we'll get, we'll get way off track. Uh, John, uh, the, the book or the letter of uh, 1 John was written by the Apostle John. The Apostle John was one of uh, Jesus' first disciples and he's writing uh, to the church uh, to address or to combat uh, some false teaching that was beginning to come in. Uh, And uh, the primary false teaching that he's combating is the false teaching that uh, centers around the humanity of Jesus. In other words, these false teachers were going into the church, and they were denying uh, that Jesus came in human form, right? So when we think about Jesus, we have to understand that he's 100% God and 100% man, right? Not 50-50, but 100%, 100%, right? There's none like him. And so when when, uh, this false teaching began to come into the church and and followers of Christ began to believe that, two results uh, of that false teaching began to impact uh, the church. Uh, Again, if you can deny the humanity of Jesus, what what you're communicating is that there is a a separation, a full separation from the spiritual side of you and the, the body side of you, Right? And because this was the teaching that was going into the church, and and again, uh, believers were beginning to kind of embrace that false uh, teaching, uh, the first result of that was uh, believers were living life like they were perfect. Like I I have, because I'm a follower of Christ, I no longer have sin, right? If I can separate the spirit and the body, my spirit has been forgiven, I'm completely good, then then I, I have no sin. And so what John does in 1 John chapter 1 and chapter 2 is he addresses that error of uh, this idea of perfection, right? Uh, and we're going to see that in just a little bit. The other result of this false teaching is, is not just that, that I'm perfect, but it doesn't matter how I live anymore, right? Uh, so I can do whatever I want. Because the spirit and the body are separated, I, my body can do whatever it wants, and it's all good, right? It's this idea of license, that do whatever I want, and John addresses that in 1 John chapter 3, and that's where we're going to be this morning. So he's combating both of those uh, errors, and, and think about that. When we live lives as Christians, thinking that we're, we're perfect, right? That, that we are we're good, there's nothing that we need to confess. When we're not honest with ourselves, right? When we're living in denial of what's true, Or we're living however we want because we have been saved, past, present, future, from our sins. We lack assurance in life, right? There's something that is missing because gospel implication reminds us that one, we're not perfect, and two, we can't live however we want, right? And so John wants to remind them that because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can live this life with complete assurance in the salvation that Christ has given to you, right? And so. With all that said, now we're going to dive into 1 John uh, chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. So we'll read it, and then we'll begin to unpack it. Uh, the scripture says, beginning in verse 4, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared, speaking of Jesus, in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. The devil. Now you understand why the context matters, and so what we're going to see in our passages this morning is is the reason why Jesus came was to destroy the works of the devil, and the way that John begins to unpack that truth is he starts with this: the reality of sin, the reality of sin. Remember what he said in verse four. He said, "Everyone who makes a practice, and we'll deal with that phrase, makes practice." Uh, a little bit later, but uh, let's look at the last part there. Anyone or Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So that last phrase describes the reality of sin. Uh, John uses two words. He uses the word sin. Uh, the word sin means to miss the mark. So think about uh, archery for just a minute. You've got a bullseye, right? And you're rearing back and you're shooting the arrow. And if you don't hit the bullseye right in the middle, guess what? You've missed the mark. And the reality is, every single one of us have missed the mark. But what have we missed the mark with, or on? God's standard, right? God's standard of holiness. Not man's standard, but God's standard of holiness. The scripture teaches us that everyone has missed the mark. How do we know? Uh, Paul writes in Romans three twenty-three: For all have what? Sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So God is holy, he's perfect, he is glorious. Guess what? You and I, we miss the mark. Every single one of us is guilty of missing the mark. But he also uses the word lawlessness. Lawlessness speaks not just missing the mark, but he's talking about the attitude of rebellion. So it's not just trying to meet God's standards and failing over and over again, but it's in rebellion against what God has said. It's a deliberate act of going against God's word and God's standard for life. The nature of sin is simply that rebellion against God. And guess what? Every single one of us are impacted by the reality of sin and lawlessness. Now, the question is where did that originate from? What is the source of that rebellion? Well, John tells us in the first part of verse 8, he says. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the what? Of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. So John here is talking about the devil. And what a way to celebrate Christmas by talking about the devil, right? Now the question is, who is the devil? Well, according to scripture, the devil is a created being, right? Specifically, he is uh, an angel. And in Ezekiel chapter uh, 28, we get some descriptors of uh, this angel, the devil, uh, the, the first thing that we have to realize is just like everything God created perfectly, when this angel, the devil, was originally created, guess what? He was what? He was perfect, right? And in fact, if you go look at Ezekiel chapter uh, 28, you find that he's perfect, he's beautiful, uh, he's wise. The scripture says that he is anointed, he's near the throne of God, he's near the presence of God. Until, Until, according to Ezekiel 28 verse 15, unrighteousness was found in him. In other words, he made a choice. He made a choice to rebel against God. And so at that moment, the scripture says that he is a fallen angel. Isaiah 14, uh, verses 12 through 15 tell us that he uh, is full of himself. Uh, in fact, you read that, there's five I will statements. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. So he's, it's, it's the corruption of pride. Uh, the fact that he is full of pride, corruption, and deceit. Uh, the scripture reminds us in uh, Revelation chapter 12 uh, that a third of the angels followed him in that rebellion, right? Uh, and the scripture says, and this is what's important, the scripture says that, that he has been sinning from the beginning. That's what John teaches us. That means ever since Satan chose to disobey God, right? He is, he's been sinning ever since then. He, he cannot, will not stop rebelling against God. Jesus says that he is the father or the source of all lies. When Jesus is addressing the religious leaders of his day in John 8:44, he says, "You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies." So we understand a little bit more about how Satan operates. He takes God's truth and he twists it or contradicts it in order to what? To, 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 for the purpose of leading people astray. And that's why it matters to us. Because in Genesis 3, when the first sin entered into humanity through Adam's disobedience, guess what? You and I have been impacted by that ever since. Everyone born into this world, you and I, we are born into this world As sinners, right, our nature of sin, and because of that, we are separated from God. Why? Because God is completely holy, right? So we talk about this reality of sin, and think about the reality of sin for just a moment. Again, it has impacted every single person in the human race. John says everyone, apart from Christ, everyone is in sin. So we start with that, the reality of sin, but then we move to the next part that John is going to address the works of Jesus, the work of Jesus. Praise God that that's not the end of the story, right? I mean, do you really praise God that that's not the end of the story? Is that something that just wells up into you uh, a just tremendous gratitude that the end of the story is not the reality of your sin and my sin? Christmas reminds us that the hero of the story of redemption appears on stage providing a way of escape for all who who have once been enslaved under the control of Satan. The question is, how does Jesus deal with that sin, the reality of sin? Well, there's two things that John picks up here. Uh, He says that Jesus takes away my sins, so that's the first thing. Jesus takes away my sin. How do we see that? Verse 5 of 1 John chapter 3. The scripture says, And you know that he, speaking of Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins, and in him, Jesus, there is no sin. First and foremost, what amazing grace. The fact that Jesus appeared, right? The fact that he came to this world. That is grace in and of itself. God entered into our darkness of missing the mark and our outright rebellion against him with the presence of his very son. And he did it in order to take away sins. That phrase, take away, refers to forgiving or to cover over, to deliver us from. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. He came to deliver us from our sins. Remember what the announcement that John the Baptist gave when he saw Jesus... In John chapter 1, verse 29, the scripture says, the next day he saw Jesus, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God, implying there's going to be a sacrifice to come who takes away the sin of the world. But did you notice the subtle difference between John chapter 1, verse 29, what we just read, and 1 John chapter 3, verse 5? In John chapter 1, the scripture says that he came to take away the sin of the world, 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, it says to take away the sins, to take away our sins, right? Should we make a big deal about this? Is that important? Is it important to have both sin taken away and sins taken away? Absolutely. Why? Because the plural, sins, talks about the fruit, right? What we do. Plural, or the singular side of sin talks about the root, why we do it, Right? In other words, the reason why we sin is because we're born into this world sinful. This is our nature, right? But Jesus has a totally different nature. Praise be to God for that. Remember what John said in 1 John 3, 5. He says, in him, Jesus, there is no sin. Meaning that Jesus is perfect and holy. Again, remember, you cannot separate the divinity of God, the divine nature of God, and the humanity of Jesus, right? So that's important, that he's perfect, He's holy. He's the only one qualified to take away your sins and take away my sins. Paul writes in Romans 5 19, for as by the one man, speaking of Adam, disobedience, that many were made sinners. In other words, when Adam sinned in Genesis 3, way, way back in, we are all impacted by that today, right? He says, so by the one man, speaking of Jesus, obedience, the many will be made righteous. Paul says in Romans 8, 3, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus, who is fully God, came as a person, the person of Jesus, lived a perfect and holy life, and by his bloody death on the cross, Jesus lifted up, he removed, he carried away our sins. The Son of God came to provide full forgiveness of our sins. He stood condemned in our place. He absorbed the full wrath and punishment of God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made himself to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that's the beauty of it. When we receive the righteousness of a God by grace through faith, guess what? We receive a new nature. And because that is true, guess what? We're no longer separated by God. We're now united with him through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that means... When our nature changes, the root has changed. Therefore, what else changes? The fruit of our life begins to change. So that leads us to the second part, why the, the work of Jesus. Not only did he come to take away our sins, but he came to destroy the works of the devil. The works of the devil. So not only does Jesus come to deal with the root of the sin, but he also comes to deal with the fruit of our sin. Right? Uh, 1 John 3, uh, verse 8, the second part there says, The reason the Son of God appeared... Was to do what? Was to destroy the works of the devil. The word destroy means to make something come to an end. To, to untie something that was once bound up, right? In other words, we have been enslaved, held captive to our sins. And when Jesus came, he came to destroy the works of the devil in order he, he came to untie the bounds of our captivity of sin. The phrase works of the devil is referring to just that. Anything that is associated with sin, even sin itself. And notice, it's in the plural too. The works of the devil. This means that the devil's work is multifaceted, right? Think about it. He will attack your body. He will attack your mind. He will attack your spirit. He will attack your emotions with the hope of what? Holding you captive to your sin. Do you believe that today? Do you not see that being just unleashed in our world today? How Satan and his demons, the third of the fallen angels, coming to this world, wrecking havoc on people's body, mind, spirit, and emotions? Listen, the enemy, with all his evil, with all his power and influence, is against humanity. The enemy has a three-fold strategy. And Jesus talks about this goal of our enemy in John 10.10, 10, the thief, the enemy, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus Christ, came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Competing agendas, two separate agendas, right? So Satan will accuse and he will slander, he will tempt and he will deceive, he will roar like a lion, a prowling lion, and sliver like a slivery serpent, but he will not win. Jesus has come to destroy the works of the devil. And because Jesus has taken away our sin, because he has destroyed the works of the devil, he came to put an end to all of our sin, all of our lawlessness, all of our rebellion. Paul speaks of this in Titus 2, in verse 14, right in the middle there, Jesus is the who. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all what? All lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Not zealous for rebellion, not zealous for missing the mark, but zealous for good works. Christmas reminds us that Jesus came to reverse and to restore what the evil one has corrupted. Do you praise God today? For the work of Jesus Christ, that our sins are taken away and the work of the devil has been destroyed. Now, what does that mean for us today? What are the implications for our life today? That's the last part. In other words, don't just learn truth, right? We gotta begin to apply that truth. How does this impact our life? First, I no longer live a life of sin. That's what we learn from this passage. Because I am a follower of Christ, because Christ has set me free, I no longer live a life of sin. First John 3, 6 says this, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning, no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Now this is a very important verse, because if we misinterpret what John is teaching us, then we're going to live a life as a follower of Christ, lacking the very thing that the gospel wants us to have, the assurance of our salvation, Right? That's why the context of what we set up at the beginning is so, so important. Let's have an example for just a minute. If you're a follower of Christ today, if you've sinned in the past week, raise your hand. Raise it high. Don't be proud of it, but just raise it high. Right? Now look around. Oh, I'll no, keep them up. Hopefully you've got deodorant on. You'll be all right. Look around. If you sinned today, raise your hand. All right, we got a meeting right afterwards. No, I'm just kidding. Why is that exercise so important? Because the important, the, the way that we interpret this particular verse is understanding uh, the phrase uh, keeps on sinning and what we heard uh, previously in 1 John 3, uh, practices sin, right? That, that's the key to unlocking uh, the meaning behind what John is writing about. These phrases indicate an ongoing, unrepentant, unconfessed, habitual lifestyle of sin and rebellion against God's word and God's law. That's what that's talking about. John is in no way saying that a Christian never sins, right? Remember, remember, that's one of the lies that John is addressing because these false teachers came in. They came in and said, because the body and the spirit are separate, right? then you're perfect. You no longer sin. So we know right off the bat that that's not what the scripture is teaching us. It's not uh, saying that we will live perfect lives, right? In fact, if you go back and see how John addresses this in 1 John chapter 1, this is what he says in verse 8. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Meaning there's a dishonesty about what's real about you and me. We raise our hand. Yes, I sin. He goes on to say in verse 9, if we confess our sins, in other words, if we're constantly, continually honest about what God says is true of us, that yes, we still miss the mark, right? What does he say? He is faithful. Praise God that he is faithful. He never changes. He never abandons us. He is what? He is just to forgive us of our sins. Right? How? Because the punishment goes somewhere else. It goes to Jesus Christ, His one and only Son, right? Scripture goes on to say, not only that, so it's not just forgiveness of sin, but the Scripture says, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He purifies us. He removes the guilt and the shame of our sin. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him, speaking of God, a what? A liar, and his word is not in us. You see what John is saying? John says when we're dishonest about our sins, when we're not living a life of continually confessing what God says to be true about sin, we are acting just like the devil. We are calling God a liar. And the reality is, if we're judgment day honest, we sin. We sin, but praise be to God. We're not left to ourselves, right? we have an advocate in Christ Jesus that's why John goes on to write in 1 John chapter 2 verse 1 he says my little children talking about brothers and sisters in Christ i'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin in other words we have a choice now right we have provision in Christ to choose not to rebel and miss the mark right but if anyone does sin we have an advocate with the father Jesus Christ the righteous so we have provision not to sin but we also have provision when we do sin. Praise God for that. So John isn't talking about sinless perfection. He's talking about a continual pattern of life. Growing in Christ-likeness. Now the question is, why do I no longer live a life of sin? Right? Why is that true of me as a follower of Christ? Because guess what? I don't feel like that all the time. But why is that true? Why is that true of me and you? John continues in 1 John uh, chapter 3, verse 9. Listen to what he says. This is important. This is like gospel-saturated stuff. He says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, again, unrepentant, right, unconfessed, habitual lifestyle of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. So now, John is addressing the second error, remember? Because the false teachers were coming in, it wasn't just, hey, I'm perfect now, it was, I can live however I want. And John is clearly stating here what? That is not true. And I believe that's the error that the American church is facing today. That we can say whatever we want and we can believe whatever we want because God has forgiven me. God is a God of love, which is true, but he is a God of wrath and judgment and he's a God of life change, life transformation. Don't believe the lie. Because that's exactly what we're facing today. It's happening in your homes. It's happening in your own homes family. Listen, that is not the gospel. And John says, no, the gospel is about not just taking sins away, but he comes to destroy the works of the devil. That means it has life implication for you and I today. How do we know? Born of God and a seed abides in us. What does that mean? John is talking about new birth. He's talking about the fact that we have a new birth, a new nature, God's nature living in us and through us by His Spirit. Sin cannot be the ruling principle of your life any longer. Paul describes this in Romans 6. Listen to the beauty of the Scripture. We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism and death. So so Paul is relating this to Jesus' death. He's not talking about water baptism here. He's saying that when Jesus died on the cross and was buried in the grave, your old life was immersed in His death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So we've been raised in his glorious resurrection. He continues in verse 6 and 7. We know that the old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. So salvation isn't just about a status change, right? It's about a new life being set free. Then he goes on to say in verses 22 and 23, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, our new nature, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. That means Christ's likeness, holiness, and it ends eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. New root leads to what? New fruit. That's what he's talking about. This new nature. This new nature means that when we do commit sin, guess what? We're not going to be comfortable. He's not going to allow us to be comfortable there. The reality is, we will live in constant battle between what is right and what is wrong. In fact, I'll say it like this. If you are battling sin, like you'll recognize it in your life, you come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and that there is a a battle there, combativeness there, guess what, that's probably a good sign you're a follower of Christ, right? But if you're living your life, and you're just doing whatever you want, acting however you want, and and just convinced that just because you said a prayer walked it out, or you, you identify as a Christian, and there is no battle with sin... Listen, that that might be an indicator that you've never truly given your life to Jesus Christ. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you take him in and he dwells with you. And everywhere you go, he goes with you. And every time we step into sin, we are taking Jesus Christ with us. So when we commit sin, Jesus is with us, carries the weight of that sin, the shame of that sin, the bondage of that sin, the humiliation of that sin, the grief of that sin. And Jesus Christ hates sin. And because he hates sin, we won't He won't leave us there. By the gracious hand of God, he will intervene in your life a hundred times out of a hundred. And as the good father that he is, he will discipline those he loves. And this is a reminder that God's end game for your life is not to leave this world and a measure of success based on the world standard, not based on your career at your workplace, not to leave this world with diplomas simply hanging on your wall or trophies collecting dust on your shelves, not to live, leave this world with an uh, amount of wealth and, and health and all those things. In fact, God's end game for your life is not for you to leave this world with a resume of perfection. King David is proof of that, right? I'm proof of that. And you're proof of that. God's end goal for your life and my life is to conform us into the image of His Son. As a child of God, you are so loved by Him that when you do commit sin, He's not going to let you stay there. He will press the gospel so hard on your life in order to dismantle the kingdom of yourself and begin to rebuild the kingdom of God in your life. You are His child. He will go to great pains to yourself and to those around you to bring you back home, right? Praise be God for that. I no longer live a life of sin. Secondly, lastly, I now live a life of righteousness. I now live a life of righteousness. So think about the gospel for just a minute. The gospel isn't simply the work of Christ uh, setting me free uh, from something, a life of sin, but the gospel also sets me free for something, a life of holiness, a life of righteousness. Uh, John speaks of this in 1 John 3, verse 7. He says, little children, let no one deceive you. Right? So there's deception going on in the church. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. John here in verse 7 is talking about our new nature. And with that new nature comes new power, new desire. You go back to Ezekiel 36 and uh, Jeremiah 31. We have a, a new heart, right? And, and the, God's word tells us in Ezekiel 36, the prophet Ezekiel speaking on behalf of the Lord, says that I am going to give you what? I'm going to exchange your heart of stone, make it a heart of flesh, meaning I'm going to make it moldable. And I'm going to put my spirit in you so that you will walk in my ways, Right? That's what he teaches us. Your ability and my ability to practice, to habitually live a life of righteousness comes from the one who is righteous. It comes from Christ himself. We are, according to 1 Peter, partakers of that divine nature. We have the Spirit of God living in us. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So we need to understand something. Please hear me. Our righteousness isn't based on what we do. It's based on what Christ has already done, right? When the root changes, the fruit changes. For the child of God, we must know who we are every day. It's about our identity in Christ, our new identity in Christ. And as a follower of Christ, Paul teaches us in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. This is a divine promise, right? I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's divine power. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's divine love. Man, that's beautiful right there, right? I have... A divine promise with divine power accompanied with divine love. And what's my response to that? Paul says, faith. Faith. I live by what? I live by faith. You see, faith isn't just about receiving salvation, it's about living out your salvation. We live every day, every moment, by faith. This is the key to the Christian life. Not just the the Christ who died on the cross, but the, the Christ who actually lives in me today. Right? Why is this important? Listen to what John says in the, last, uh, second, or the beginning of verse 10. He says, By this it is evident, meaning it is obvious, who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Scripture makes it crystal clear. There's only two categories of people, right? Those who are child of the devil and those who are a child of God. That's it. Those who are enemies of God and those who are part of the family of God. And it's all based on what? where are you placing your faith? Are you placing your faith on the finished work of Christ? Are you beginning to trust the lies of the devil that I don't need to be honest about my sin and I can live however I want? So I ask you that question. Are you a child of the devil or a child of God today? As the praise and worship team come up, lead us in our time of response, just want to address those two things. If you're not a follower of Christ, the default is you're, you're, you're a child of the devil. right? You have no hope if you're living for the devil. But praise be to God, Jesus Christ has come to us, has come to you, to bring hope, to bring salvation, to bring forgiveness of sin, to bring a new nature, a new power, a new family, a new home. The scripture says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Do you find yourself today being enslaved to the schemes of the devil, the corruption of the devil? Jesus has come to give you life, eternal and life abundantly. Will you receive Christ today? The second thing, to those of us who are followers of Christ, we need to learn to live within the divine resources that we have in Christ. Paul speaks of this in Galatians 5.16. He says, But I say, walk, that's a continual action, by the Spirit, that's a command, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's a promise. As a follower of Christ, we need to know our enemy. He's a liar, he's a corrupter, he's a schemer, he's a deceiver, and he's a destroyer. He wages war on your soul and will unleash every resource his, at his disposal to exploit your weakness. And guess what? We all have at least one weakness, if not more. Therefore, we need to be ready for battle. 1 Peter 5, Scripture says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, paws around like a roaring lion. He is the active hunter. He is the active predator. And what is his goal? Seeking someone to devour. He wants to destroy you. But because of Jesus Christ, we are victorious. That's why verse 9 says, resist him. How? Firm in your faith. Firm in your faith. Trusting in the finished work of Christ. Realizing that you and I are victorious today. That means Satan has no authority over you and I today. He has no power over you unless you give it to him, right? We have a choice today. Are we going to press into the Holy Spirit of God or are we going to rely on the flesh and give areas to Satan Jesus Christ has already won the victory over him, and he has given us the the very power to resist him. You see, Satan can't force you to do anything. That's a lie, right? It's a choice that we make as a follower of Christ. You can surrender. You can give him what Jesus has already redeemed. You can give him your body to use, your mind to use, but it's going to be based on your permission and my permission. Resisting the enemy isn't about you trying harder. It's about you trusting Jesus more. That's the key. Trust in the work of Jesus. He came to take away your sins. He came to destroy the works of the devil. So as we close in our time of response, if you never received Christ as your Savior, today's your day. If you, if you sense that the Holy Spirit of God is working on it, even if you can't explain it, but you know something's just grabbing you, listen, let's talk about it. I'd love to pray with you. If you don't feel comfortable coming forward, I get it, I understand. We have a next up area. Please go there. If you're here this morning, you are a follower of Christ.